0: Good morning. Welcome to everybody, students coming back, any visitors, and everybody online. Sarah, hi. Sarah's supposed to be here today. She's supposed to be giving this talk, but she's not feeling well. So she was looking forward to finishing the series of Jesus in the Boat, but it's down to me. That's not a disclaimer, it's an excuse. So, We've just been doing this series, Jesus in the Boat. And for those who haven't journeyed with us in this boat series, let me just recap the essence of it. Jesus did a lot of stuff with his disciples in the boat. And the boat was a place where only the disciples were in with Jesus. And so it was a place of mission and discipleship. They were always on a journey, that's a mission. And Jesus was always teaching them in the boat from the lessons that they had encountered out of the mission and so it's a place of discipleship and it's a place of mission and we're called to be disciples so we're called to get in the boat and the last teaching or story in the series we're looking at is just before really Jesus goes back to heaven it's after the resurrection and here we have another disciples in the boat scenario so Let's have a look at it together. Um, we're going to look at how after the resurrection, Jesus was on the beach cooking the disciples fish for breakfast. I'm not a fan of fish for breakfast. <laughs> anyway, let's get on to it. I'm going to waste time. All right. After these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples at the sea at Tiberias. And this way he showed himself to Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we will go with you also. So here, Jesus is risen from the dead. They'd had a terrible experience seeing Jesus arrested, crucified. They were frightened down to their boots, as we've just heard from the story with Chicky and his friends. And now the disciples are kind of, had enough, and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And we got this picture of the disciples in the boat, but Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. And as we know, the boat is a place of learning and growing, but even though they were in the boat, they were off fishing. Their mindset had changed, and they'd stopped learning and stopped growing. And it's very easy for us, in the course of time, to be in a discipleship environment, a structure, a construct. We can be in church, we can sing the right songs, we can be in a small group, we can believe all the stuff, we can be surrounded by believers and disciples and those who follow Jesus, and yet in our hearts and in our experiences, and in our minds and activities, actually what we've done is gone uh, shopping, not shipping, shopping. Uh, we're kind of switched off growing and learning and following. So we've let go of our mission. We've let go of our purpose. We've let go of our desire to know Jesus and follow his plans for our lives. We're kind of basically chilling. Not that there's anything wrong with chilling. We all need to rest and chill and have fun. But this is an attitude of heart where Jesus wasn't in the boat, and they want on his mission And it's so important that we make this decision when we're young. That we will always continue to grow and learn and follow and connect, remain passionate and connected and committed to Jesus, following him and his mission. It's a a decision that we make. And I say this about marriage as well. You know, marriages that stay together... In one sense, a big big aspect of it, under normal circumstances, and I know that there are things when something can go wrong and it can be tragic and abusive and a deep sense of betrayal. I I get that. I'm talking about under normal circumstances. Marriages that stay together come down to a decision. I have made a vow, and I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you, and I am not going to gravitate or go or move or towards somebody else you are my wife you are my husband that's it till the day I die Sarah made that to me I made that to her and that lifelong decision when you're young that this this is a decision till the day I die is a great foundation well, marriage, but it's also a great foundation for following Jesus. When we give our lives to Jesus, it's not a suck it and see. It's not a, a try it and see if it works out. It's not if, if it works for a month or a couple of years and it feels good and it works out good. I, I will continue with it. It is sowing our lives into following Christ till the day that we die And whilst there may be blessings and rewards along with the hardships that we experience in the course of life, the real reward, the real payback, is when we die. When we get the reward of Christ for living a life of service and faithfulness and obedience and love to him. We actually don't see it in this lifetime as a commitment to sow our lives till the day we die, and it'll all be worth it. And as Paul says this, our light and momentary afflictions. And when you read what he was talking about, my goodness, they were not light and momentary. He says, we were under so much pressure, persecution, hardship, we despaired of life itself. And he says, but I consider all this light and momentary afflictions compared to the greater weight of glory, blessing, purpose, reward that we will receive when we go to be with Christ. Christ. And it is a decision at the beginning that is firm and solid that holds you through to the end. But also, I want to say to the older or the maturer people, don't give up. Don't drop the ball when you're older. There's a temptation when you're young that is different to when you're old. When you're young, the temptation can be a fear of missing out or having to wait for the good stuff, or well, we haven't practiced self-denial yet. But when you're older, there's a temptation to take your foot off the gas, to dial it down, to settle down, to live a more comfortable life. There's a temptation to lose your hunger for Jesus, to lose your hunger for his mission, for his purpose, to lose his hunger for loving and reaching others for the sake of Jesus. You, the hunger goes. Or can go. The zeal can go. And sometimes it's just because life is long and life is hard. I often say it's always uphill. <laughs> it just depends how steep it is at any given moment in time. But it can be because, you know, the longer you live, the, slow, the, high, the weaker you get, the more tired you get, and you want to slow down. And while we do have to pace ourselves, Paul says, do not be weary in well-doing and do not flag in zeal. Don't lose your fire. And so there's a commitment for the young and there's a a, a commitment of resilience to the old. Not to lose the hunger. Don't go fishing. Is this screen on, by the way? Because I can't see anything here. I'm just going to... Is it coming up behind me? Is there a problem? Oh, great. Brilliant. Brilliant. So despite this, despite that they'd gone fishing, whether they'd given up, lost their hunger, become tired, despaired, or discouraged, Jesus turns up to them on the boat whilst they've gone fishing, whilst they've gone awol, whilst they've taken their eye off the ball. And he turns up to restore and to revive and to reassure them. So let's read the story together. Breakfast on the beach. With Jesus. What a great title, eh? Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm just making sure that my version is the same. I'm going to read from here. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Next page. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was him. I'm not going to speak on that, but just ponder upon that. Think about that on your way home. They, they saw him, but they didn't recognize him. He came in a form they didn't recognize. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net right to the other side, and you'll find some. And when they did this, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped out his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed in, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. There you go. I mean, now they're up close, and they, they know. It doesn't look like Jesus, but they know who it is. It's really interesting. It did, didn't look like him, but they knew who he was at this, at this time. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Next page. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead where you go uh, and where you don't want to go. And this, uh, Jesus, said he, Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death by which he would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. So Jesus comes to the disciples on the beach. He came early, he was eager, and there was, I sense a sense of urgency in Jesus to do business with the disciples for the next stage of their life and journey. And he was standing there, and he turned up on the beach for them, but they didn't recognize him. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the boat, and the disciples did not realize it was him. Now, it's very easy not to recognize when Jesus turns up. He's often turning up, to do something in our lives he's often turning up for us but we don't recognize him in this he's turning up at the beach when they're fishing and the reason why we often don't recognize Jesus is because he is spiritually discerned you discern that he's with you you see that he's with you through your spiritual eye and your spiritual understanding. And this is something that we have to cultivate to recognize oh, this is the presence of God. This is God at work. This is God speaking to me. This is God doing this in my life. This isn't just a circumstance. No, I discern this is God. This isn't just this. This sense that I have within me isn't just me. No, this is God. This presence I'm feeling isn't just goosebumps on the back of my neck. No, this is God. And it's spiritually discerned. And often we can fail to discern Jesus because we're busy. Our heads are down. We're distracted. And it takes a little bit of posture, a little bit of time, a little bit of giving us space and reflection And prayer and thought and consideration and asking Lord to open our spiritual eyes to be able to discern and recognize when he's at work. Because the world is very distracting and if we're busy all the time, we sometimes don't recognize that God is speaking to us or with us or doing something. There's many, many times in a service meeting I might have come in distracted because I got something in my mind and the presence of God has turned up, but I'm I'm too distracted in my thinking to say, oh, my goodness, God's here. Anxiety can stop us realizing the peace and the presence of God. So Jesus turns up to Peter, and basically he turned up in his workplace again. His boat was his place of work. When he first met Jesus, he turned up in his place of work and performed a miracle there, a great catch. And that's what arrested Peter's attention to the fact that, oh my goodness, you're not just an ordinary man, that you're the Lord. And now Jesus is, comes to Peter and the disciples and does the same thing. And he does the same thing because he's trying to snap them out of their distraction. Oh my, it's a miracle, 153 sheep, uh, sheep uh, fish. And, and to do something familiar that they recognize that it's Jesus to snap us out of our slumber or our sleep, that God still loves us, he still wants us, he's still there for us, he's still got a purpose for us. We're not, we might have forgotten him because of distraction, but he hasn't forgotten us. We might have taken our eyes off him, but he hasn't taken our, his eyes off us. And he says, throw your net, boys, on the other side. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. It's the same miracle, the same miracle that he performed when he called Peter to follow him. He's now performing the same miracle at the end when he's lost his way to get him back into the call because the last thing he says to me, follow me, I'll make you fish of men. The last thing Jesus says, follow me, Peter. And Jesus is trying to snap them out getting their attention because why, 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 why? Because he's got something to say to us, something for us. And he uses a familiar language, uh, a repeat miracle that snaps us out of our slumber and sleep and distraction. And this is what Jesus does all the time to us, all the time. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with him and he will meet. This was to the book of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. Jesus is knocking on the door of the church and the church are made up of individuals. So I don't think it's corporate, it's for you and it's for me. And he's always there knocking. And the thing about this church is that the description of the church is that it become lukewarm. He says, I would have... I would." have you neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And and the disciples had become lukewarm. they had gone fishing. Now, we understand it because of the trauma and the difficulties that they've gone through. They've gone through more trauma than most of us go in a lifetime, in a, in a few weeks. I understand it. But nevertheless, they've gone fishing. And now Jesus is knocking on their door. And he's speaking. He's speaking through a miracle to snap them out of their slumber and he's knocking on our door he's knocking on our door today he's knocking on somebody's door this morning there's somebody here there's somebody's here that he's knocking on the door and he's just so, and why is he knocking on just so that he may hear his voice open up and he may step into our lives again because he has something to share with us i'll share a meal with you have something to share something to speak something to lead us into for our good and for our blessing then the disciples said whom, whom, who Jesus the disciple who uh, Jesus loved, that was John, said, "It's the Lord." And Peter recognized it was Jesus through the voice of somebody else. He recognized it was Jesus through John. And that often is what happens. We're in such a, such a place where we're so distracted, our hearts have become cold, our lives have become busy, we've gone fishing, and we're not really... Rec- and Jesus turns up, we can't recognize he's there, but somebody who recognized him, has gotten a spiritual discernment, and goes, Do you know, and this is the Lord. Peter, this is the Lord. And we need to be open to be able to hear... So their eyes are open and our ears are open to what God is saying to us and God wants to do with us through others. And that takes humility. Sometimes I've heard this many, many times. Oh, if the Lord tells me, I'll do it personally. Do you know God speaks through people? Through the page of the Scripture, He always speaks through people. The vast majority of times He speaks through people. And it takes us humility to recognize that ordinary flesh and blood... People with have the same warts and flaws that we do. God can actually use to point out his voice and his way for us, that we may make a move back to him. Often we need others to point out our blind spots. And I have lost count how many other people have been good enough and God has been good enough to point out my blind spots to me. Sometimes it's an opinion. Sometimes it's the way I'm saying or doing something. Sometimes it might be something unhelpful to others. And the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Somebody who will point something out to us, maybe from the Bible, maybe from their observation, maybe as they're praying for us, and they go, gosh, if you're humble, we can hear that it's God using them to get us out of the fishing boat and back into the mission boat, the purpose boat with Jesus. And when Peter heard, oh, it's the Lord, he had the humility to recognize it, and he jumped out of the boat and made a move towards Jesus. In other words, what he was doing, he was opening the door because of the knock to Jesus. Now, we always have to make a move to Jesus. Sometimes that move is prayer. Lord, I just need to spend a little bit of time of prayer with you. And as we are praying, it says we're drawing close to him. And it says, draw close to him, and he will draw close to God. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sometimes it's repentance. Sometimes we've just got to stop, turn around, make an adjustment, let something go, that we may move on. Sometimes it's a confession, forgive me, Lord. Sometimes it's a confession to, go- to others, forgive me. Sometimes it's a sorry Sometimes it says, I really need to get back into church life. It's not just about a service, it's about the community of God's people that God may speak and encourage us and minister to us and us and help us and strengthen us through others. We're never meant to be alone in this journey with following Jesus. Sometimes it's committing ourselves to worship and not being distracted in worship. Sometimes it's actually getting back into a ministry or serving, or just being obedient to what we know God has asked us to do, but we're not doing it or haven't done it yet. There's always a response. And Peter made that response. I remember the first response I made when I was, you know my story, I was walking through Castle Cork Woods and I didn't believe in God and I was more than fishing, I was on a cruise liner, you know. And and God showed up. And I didn't expect it, just like Peter didn't expect it. And he showed up. And I I discerned the presence and the power of God as I was walking in Castle Cork Woods. And I heard this voice, Abandon yourself to me. Proclaim my name to all people and I'll meet your needs. And I knew I had to do something. When I heard that word abandon, it says, Put everything else second and Jesus first. I had an ambition. I wanted to become, you know, I actually want to become a lawyer, really. Uh, I, but I, my dream to, to, to enter a profession, second, because he had a purpose for me. I had to put that note I, about yourself, proclaim my name. I knew I was going to have to be a preacher. I didn't have the words for preacher. I'd never been to church. But I knew, I, I knew God had called me to communicate to him. I was an atheist, you see. I saw my mum and dad. And once I knew I had to love them, I had to put Jesus in obedience to him first. It's not what my mum and dad said, or what my mum and dad wanted for me, or their aspirations, or their plans, or their desires. I was a follower of Christ. There's only one person I'm going to give my life and be accountable to when I leave this world, and it's not my mum and dad. My dad's there now, my mother's there now, but I'm I'm not going to be accountable to them for how I've lived my life. There's only one person I'm going to stand before, and it's not even my wife. It's not my children, it's not my best friends. It's Jesus. And I saw every important person in my life, and even the girlfriend I was going out with at that time, and I knew that had to change. Abandon yourself to me and do what I've asked you to do first. And that was my first response. And I've been making that response nearly every day of my life, or trying to. Because it's a response that we're called to make every day of our lives. Live an abandoned life every day to Jesus. But everybody will have their response to make. And you will know in your heart, as you recognize the presence of God and he prepares your heart to speak to you, what response you have to make. And I want to encourage you to do it. Because it's great. It's worth it. It It is so worth it. Oh, I'm so worth it. So they drew near to Jesus, and what did they discover? Despite they'd gone fishing and dropped the ball, what did they discover? They discovered the love, the care, and the intimacy of Jesus. They discovered that Jesus was thinking about them, and he was cooking them breakfast. He was cooking them breakfast. Jesus said, bring some of your fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net. It was full of large fish. So many, that, and even the net didn't break. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Now this, if Sarah had been preaching, she, want, she so wanted to preach and teach this session this morning. Because she loves this passage. And she loves the care. And the intimacy and the wonder that Jesus, the resurrected King, the Lord of heaven, the God of heaven and earth, took time out to actually make breakfast for these guys when they'd gone fishing. This intimate and beautiful demonstration of Jesus, consideration and care. This speaks volumes about how Jesus thinks and responds and acts towards you and me. Even when we are, we couldn't be in a better place. speaks volumes. The consideration that they were tired after fishing all night, weak and hungry, deeply thoughtful and intimate, and personal care i remember we had a delegation from the state's visitors once as a church and they were all business leaders and we were putting on a conference about the kingdom of god and how it impacts the workplace and these were they were very successful and very very wealthy businesses there's nothing you could give to them really and uh, they had an amazing ministry of how jesus can transform the Workplace by, the, by his kingdom, and the first miracle that Jesus did was in the workplace, it was in Peter's boat, you know, it's his, it his work, it was his office. Um, so, we took him out for a meal, and in the course of conversation, we started talking about chocolate, as you do that's what you do with these important things. We talk about chocolate, we went around like, oh, what our favorite chocolate was, and everybody had this one of the guys like caramel chocolate. One of the guy's like seventy percent dark chocolate. One, of the, you know, and there was one lady there who liked chocolate, but di- and we noticed that she didn't take sugar. She had she, she had distinguished. She wouldn't have any sugar, but she liked chocolate. So I was wondering, well, how does this work? Anyway, that night we finished the meal, and Sarah and I went into Tesco's, and we decided, and there was about eight of them, and we remembered to actually buy them all the chocolate the chocolate bar that they liked personally. We even found Belgium chocolate that had no sugar in it. It might have had a lot of other additives that are going to kill you more than the sugar, but it didn't have sugar in it. <laughs> so, so we bought all this chocolate, we made a goodie bag, and we got it taken to the hotel. Well, the following morning, these are the, they were absolutely blown away, and they were talking about it to one another as they came from their home, hotel rooms over breakfast. About the consideration that after the conversation, nobody said, but we clocked it, May, bought them something personal, and they they couldn't get over it, and they said this: "This is what love looks like." And they actually said that when they go home, they'd be so challenged by the hospitality that they received over here. They were going that they they thought they were got good at hospitality, but it challenged them how they do hospitality to even hone it down into more of a. Personal care and response. That's what Jesus was doing here. It's, do you notice sometimes it's just the little things that are you that communicate the love? And that's what Jesus, and that's what God is like for you. He doesn't see you as another stat. It's not a general love. It's very specific and very personal. He loves you. And when he speaks and when he ministers and when he leads you in your life, he's, he's got you in mind. Not just his mission, you in mind. Because he knows what is really going to make you sing and talk over breakfast. So, I'm going to skip this for the sake of time. So, Jesus now, the next thing he does, he's doing all of this, right? Doing the breakfast doing the miracle, shouting out, turning up He's doing all this for, for an end, to prepare Peter's heart to speak to him. His heart wasn't in a, in a great place. It's gone fishing, but he wanted to prepare his heart so he could not only recognize Jesus, but hear what he had to do. Jesus said to his disciples just before he was resurrected, there's many things I want to say to you, but you're, you cannot receive them right now. It's not just a matter of saying what is right, but allowing people's hearts to be prepared that they can hear it. Have you ever somebody said something to you and your immediate reaction is, and you go off the wall or, or react to it, and then a few days later as you ponder and process, you come back and go, yeah, I think you had a point after all, but in the moment you couldn't receive it. You've never experienced that, have you? <laughs> That's only me, is it? But Jesus was preparing the house so Peter could receive it. And he says, when Jesus finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Hmm. He's, 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 he's opening up. it. So the, the food, the questions, the turning up, this is God's method. He prepared... Um, It says in Genesis that the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the chaos of the earth, and after it was hovering for whatever period of time, then God said, let it be light. It says the Spirit of the Lord, the Hebrew word was incubating, preparing creation to receive the powerful, creative word of God that would cause not a chaotic world, not a barren world, but a flourishing world full of life. And the power of God's word is absolutely powerful and life-giving, but God often has to prepare our hearts so we can receive it. When Peter was in the boat, another boat, and Jesus walked on the water, Peter said to him, Jesus, if it's you, let me come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out on the word of God. Come. He wasn't stepping out on the water. He stepped out on the word of God. He'd received permission from Christ. And as he received that permission from Christ through his word, he had faith and confidence that he could walk. And he stepped out on the word. Come. And guess what? He did what he couldn't do. Walk on water. Lazarus was dead in the grave. And Jesus said in a loud voice, it says in John chapter 11, Lazarus, come forth. It was good. Good, he said, come forth. Because if he hadn't said come forth, he would have come fifth. (laughs) He said, come forth or come out. And though he'd been dead, I'm sorry, it's a terrible joke. (laughs) though he'd been dead for three days, Lazarus, from wherever he was, whenever he was with the Lord in this paradise, or wherever he was, Lazarus in his spirit heard the voice of God and said, excuse me, and he zipped back. his body and out he was fully formed no stench no stink no decay the power the power of christ's word when it's heard i've got lots of stories i can tell you hey facebook today i was looking at facebook preparing for this message (laughs) i'm joking but this morning facebook memory popped up 14 years ago this week we went into this building 14 years ago, yes, time goes quick. So oh, I've got to go real quick with this. Measure. 14 years ago, I remember seeing this building, and we needed a new one. And we, had, we couldn't afford it, and there's no, we didn't have enough people, we didn't have enough money, we thought we'd never fill it. It's impossible. And I said, if we're going to do this, we need a prophet. We need to hear from God. So I got Clem over from America, didn't tell him anything about this building, and then on one night, he's prophesying to the whole church, says, I can see a new building for you. It's got a massive car park, and people think they're going to go shopping, but they're going to turn up at your place. Well, this used to be a supermarket. And I knew, and I'd heard, and we heard, do you remember it? Those were in the church, we heard that God wanted us to buy it. And, even though we and he said, don't say you haven't got the money, you can't afford it, don't say it's too big. Don't say, you're not big enough. All the reasons we would say why we cannot do it, why we can't walk on water to this thing, why we can't come out of the cave or the grave of where we are to this thing, all these things were empty and nullified in the power of hearing his word. And as we obeyed and walked on that word, here we are today. And I remember the first time we opened this building... We had a conference here, didn't we? And 630 leaders from across Wales turned up. And I turned around to Adam and looked at all the people streaming in. the first word I said to him, even before we had our first meeting in it, I said, Adam, this place is too small. (laughs) But that's what can happen when you hear his word. And Peter was having his heart prepared to hear his word. And there was three or four things that Jesus was going to do through speaking to Peter. And here it is. He wanted to restore him he wasn't in a great place, but he wanted to restore him to his self because he denied him three times. He felt guilty. He, he, he was overwhelmed with grief. He sobbed bitterly. He probably felt a terrible failure and how desperate he felt to let down his friend and his Lord. He probably felt dreadful and he needed his mind, his heart, his soul, and his relationship, everything. He needed a, a whole new rewire. And Jesus said to Peter, three times do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? To, to, to nullify the three times he denied him. And when and and each time he added it with a restoration and a reassurance of purpose that not only you restore back to my relationship, but you're restored back to your call, your purpose, you're still useful. You haven't blown it, there's still a chance. Come on, I've still got a purpose for you. Get back involved. And he said, do you love me? You know I do. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know I do. Feed my lambs. you love me? You know I do. Oh, you know everything. Feed my sheep. These messed up, but He's been restored back to Jesus, restored back to his ministry, restored back to his purpose, the plan of God for his life, restoration completely totally, and he needed a prepared heart to hear that because when you have messed up so bad, you, don't, you can't believe it because the self-accusation is too great to hear it. But Jesus prepared his heart to put faith in him. It's okay, Peter, you're forgiven, get back on track. Then he repurposed him and he says, Follow me. So he restored him, he restored him, he repurposed him, all through hearing his voice, all because he responded, all because he saw, all because he lifted up. It's the Lord. All because he was humble enough to receive advice from another. It's the Lord. Oh, he made a response. It's the Lord. He, he found love, intimacy, concern, a breakfast. Gosh, I didn't expect that. I expected a big stick. No, I'm not like that, Peter. Have a fish. He spoke to his heart, restored him, restored him, repurposed him. And then, this is the best. Well, it's not the best. It's all good. He gave him power to live. He said, do you know, when you are outside the court's office with the high priests as they were questioning me to crucify me, you denied me three times round a glowing fire. You weren't really under pressure. But I tell you what you're going to do. When you get older, this is how you're going to glorify me. You're going to actually allow yourself to be dressed by others and led to your own death and be martyred for me. speaking about crucifixion, like Jesus. He said this is how we glorify the Lord. Now, let me tell you this. You don't, he couldn't, he couldn't, Say, yes, I know Jesus, he's my mate. To, a, to a, a servant girl, by a warming fire, he crumbled out of that. How, however was he going to allow himself to be crucified? Do you know how? Because he heard Jesus' words, that this was his purpose for him, and that he would be able to do it, and he would glorify God through it. And in hearing the word, he even had the prevailing power to lay his life down in obedience to Christ, even to death, like Jesus. That's the power of hearing the word of God, because obedience comes through faith, not willpower. And faith, says the Bible, comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of God. And when you've heard God's call upon your life, you just can't do anything about it. You have to. You have to follow when you've heard the living Christ in all of his glory and all of his love and all of his power and all of his purpose speak of your heart, I can't do anything. So, when I'm walking down Castle Corkwoods as an atheist, not believing in God, and then suddenly God says, Abandon yourself to me, and I hear the voice of God, people say, Well, you had a choice. Well, yes, I did have a choice, but you've met with God. What choice have you got? You've heard the voice of God and it's called upon your life. What choice have you got? In one sense, you have a choice, but the power of his word is so prevailing. And I want to say this. God wants to speak to you. Some of you he's spoken to this morning. And as you allow his word to enter your heart, it will create faith and it will change everything. And you will walk on water, figuratively speaking, to fulfill all the wonderful purposes that God has for your life. And some of those purposes might lead us into light and momentary afflictions that don't feel like it at the time, but they will produce in you and bring to you at the end of the day, at the end of the game, an eternal weight of reward, power, purpose, and glory. And it will be all worth it. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the wonderful lessons that you have put in your word through the life of Jesus and his disciples just going from one place to another place in a boat or jumping out of a boat or just getting in one. We're amazed how the simple things in your Bible hold for us such eternal truth that are so transformative and empowering to our lives, and we praise you. And I pray, Lord, today, through the power of your Spirit, your Word that has been sown into each and every person's heart here today, your water, and your watch over, that it will grow from a seed into a mighty fruit-bearing plant and vine that will bear much fruit in their life for the life of others, and that will bring lots of praise to your name and great happiness to your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.